Our Old Testament lesson this morning is uh, from the book of 1 Samuel. It's a little longer than our usual Old Testament readings, but um, I think you'll see why we had to go with this whole uh, passage as it kind of all holds together. If you chop it up, you sort of get the wrong impression. So this is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses Uh, 1 through 22. And this is a time in your history of the people of Israel. You have uh, the people who had been in slavery in Egypt. God had brought them out of slavery, taken them to Mount Sinai. He had said, this is how you are to live. As you go into the land, they had then not done well and ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years. Um, As their children go into the land, uh, Moses reminds them, this is what God says you're to do as you go into the land. And they go into the land, and, well, they don't do those things. And, uh, and so there was this period of the judges that lasted for quite a while. And if you read through the book of Judges, you just see this downward spiral of the people as they have, uh, they just continue to reject God and his ways and do things their own way. So then you move into the book of First Samuel, and you have just come out of some of the darkest stuff in the whole Bible at the end of the book of Judges, and then you have here what they see as the solution to this problem. All right, with that said, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we do thank you for your word that you've given to us, and God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, we pray that you would give us minds to think, to understand, and God, we pray that you would give us hearts that are soft, that are uh, not rebellious, but that are receptive to hear your word for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 22. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba, but his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead, uh, to lead us as such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers, He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage 
and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone go back to your own town. Our New Testament lesson is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. Here we see a very different way. As John continues his letter, and now focusing more specifically on uh, the love that we have received from God and therefore uh, should be giving and reflecting into the world. 1 John 4, 7 to 16. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are in the middle now of a uh, three-part mini-sermon uh, series on the King of the Jews. And um, this is part two. And the reason that we are calling it that is the passage we looked at last Sunday, the one we're looking at this Sunday, and the one we'll look at next Sunday, all have that phrase in there, the King of the of the Jews, but each time it's something, uh, someone else speaking, and maybe something else uh, being being meant by it. And um, so, last week we looked at Pilate and Jesus, and Pilate uh, saying, to, asking Jesus just straight out, "Are you the King of the Jews?" And we saw how Jesus was responding. In that moment, today we're looking at uh, a little bit different. This time it's the soldiers who are calling Jesus the king of the Jews. We'll see what that's about. And, um, and we'll follow this story. Not only with how the soldiers treat Jesus as, 
quote-unquote king of the Jews. But what it means for the soldiers, what it means for Pilate, what it means for the Jewish leaders uh, in how they view kingship and how they view Jesus in particular. This is John 19, verses 1 through 16. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their, and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as a stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. This is um, clearly not a trial that is interested in finding the truth or in seeking justice. This is uh, a trial that is all about power dynamics. You can see that in here, can't you? That as uh, this goes forward, You've got this back and forth that just keeps happening. And as we talked about last week, this is because uh, the Jewish leaders refuse to come inside because, you know, they got to stay clean. They can't be inside this uh, Roman area with Gentiles. That would make them unclean, and they wouldn't be able to continue in their Passover uh, festivities. Admittedly, they're still trying to murder someone, but, you know, stay clean anyway, right? So they won't go inside. So you've got Pilate who has Jesus inside and he's just back and forth, which is a really 
interesting thing uh, that's going on kind of visually with Pilate going back and forth because what you see with Pilate internally is he keeps going back and forth, doesn't he? There are power dynamics at work, and Pilate is the one who's supposed to make the call. He's the one who's supposed to make this good decision in this moment. Do we kill this man? Do we set him free? What do we do with him? Pilate has to make this call. And as, he, uh, as we begin, the first thing he tries to do, based on what we saw last week, he doesn't see anything that Jesus has done as something deserving death. He knows there are people who are wanting to kill him, but he doesn't, he doesn't think that the evidence actually leads that direction. And so he tries to satisfy the crowd. He tries to find this sort of uh, middle road of, man, eh, we'll just make everybody happy. Tell you what, go flog him. Maybe that'll be good enough. So the soldiers take him, and this is um, where you get the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Why the crown of thorns? Why the purple robe? It all goes back to this idea of kingship. It's kings who wear crowns. Not crowns of thorns, but that's what they put on Jesus. It is kings who wear purple and purple robes. So they put this on Jesus, and they're slapping him, and they've been beating him. The whole idea is to mock that this guy would think of himself as any sort of king. That's what they're making fun of. And they're doing their best <laughs> to make, uh, to heighten the comedy, to heighten the irony. This guy thought he was a king? Come on. And so they treat him like absolute garbage. But they dress him up as a uh, king of sorts as they do it. This is what is supposed to satisfy the chief priests, satisfy uh, the Jewish leaders. Pilate's now going to bring Jesus out to them in this condition and say, here you go. This is the guy. He hasn't done anything wrong. He clearly isn't a threat. Why don't you just let him go? And so it says, he even brings him out, says, I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate says that twice. He brings him out wearing the crown of thorns. He brings him out wearing the purple robe. Here is the man. Every line that other people say in here, you can read it kind of two ways. You can read it from what they mean, but you can also read it for what the truth is. And this is one of those, again, uh, when the Soldiers, they hail king of the Jews. They mean it as a way of making fun of Jesus. And yet, if you know who Jesus really is, you're like, that's exactly what they should be saying. <laughs> hail king of the Jews. The same thing here when Pilate brings him out and says, here is the man. Pilate means this guy is no threat. Here he is. This is the one you brought to me. And there's nothing here. Let him go. And yet... If he knew who it was, when Pilate says, I find uh, no basis for a charge against him, and here is the man, this is all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? 
where everybody who's descendant of Adam is this uh, son of man kind of thing, child of Adam, and yet all of us do have things against us. And Jesus is the one man who has no basis for a charge against him, the one who actually is innocent. Jesus is the one that we see showing up in uh, Daniel chapter 7, the vision where every human ruler has become beast-like in nature, in trampling over others. But then, and it just gets worse and worse, but then there's this one who shows up, like a son of man. And it is this uh, son of man who is the one who rules, and his kingdom lasts forever. When Pilate brings him out and says, here is someone who is innocent, and he, here is the man, if he knew what he was saying, that's almost like a declaration of faith, but he has no idea. And so he just means, I don't find any reason to kill him, and here's this guy you guys seem so afraid of. And then their response. We have a rule in our house, I think I've told you before. It is a very strict rule. No chanting. This is, is one of the greatest rules we've ever <laughs> come up with. No chanting. So if you are driving down the road and you're going to be stopping somewhere to eat and you say, oh, hey, where do you want to go? And somebody says, oh, how about this place? And you go, mm, no, not that. And then they say, oh, yes, that. And so they all start chanting the name of that place. If you've ever driven with children, you know. That's how it goes. Yeah, that doesn't fly. No chanting. <laughs> and, um, and so the reason, of course, for the no chanting is because there's no conversation in chanting. <laughs> chanting is just a matter of trying to shout down your opponent. That's it. But there's no conversation. Um, and so we have this very strict no chanting rule. And if I ever get pushback, I just remind people that it's chanting that killed Jesus. Anyway, <laughs> that's what's going on here is Pilate comes out and says, I find no basis uh, for a charge against him. He has done nothing deserving death. And their response is not, well, let me tell you all the reasons. Let me go through it point by point so that you'll see what we, what we see here. Instead, they just try to shout him down. Now, they do offer a few things in here, but mostly their strategy is just shout him down, wear him down, threaten him, bully him, try to get Pilate uh, to bow to their wishes. And it works. And guess what? They're not the last people to try this tactic. <laughs> and you know why they're not the last people to try this tactic? Because it works. People get shouted down and bullied without reason, just shouted down all the time. And if you are thinking of your political opponents and saying, that's exactly right, that's what they do, you're right. But if you're thinking about your own political side, <laughs> or if you're not thinking about your own political side, you probably should. Because it happens all over the place. It's just easier to see it when the other side is doing it. Um, I think it would be good to institute a no-chanting policy <laughs> uh, larger 
than just with uh, children. But, but this is the tactic that they have, trying to shout down Pilate. Uh, they do tell him, okay, we do have a law. He's broken that law. What's the law? Claiming to be the son of God. Mm. This is one of those that we have gone through uh, time and again as we've gone through the book of John and said, you know, sometimes people will claim that Jesus never claimed to be divine. He never claimed to be God. And yet we have looked at all the different ways that he did exactly that uh, through the things that he did, through the things that he said, uh, even if he didn't use those exact words. And here we see that at least some people got it. They knew exactly what he was saying. And when Pilate hears this, of course, he is more afraid. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know what he's all about. I didn't find it, but mm, that is kind of, that's something maybe a little superstitious about if, if he's going to be a son of God. That's what he's claiming instead of just the ordinary uh, rebellious punk. So Pilate goes back and asks him, where do you come from? think about that question. With all you know of Jesus, what would be the best answer he could give? Where do you come from? I don't know. Does he say I came from God? Does he say I came from Nazareth? Does he say I came from Bethlehem? Does he say I came from Egypt? What what is the best answer he could give? He says nothing. And Pilate follows on with, don't you realize I have the power to either free you or crucify you? Like, this would be a good time for you to talk because if you can get me on your side, you've made a really good ally. And Jesus does the same thing we've been seeing throughout this whole thing. When everything looks like it's out of control, then you look at Jesus and he is completely in control through the whole thing. In control of himself, but also really in control of the whole situation. And so what Jesus says by way of answer is, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Pilate understands that he has been appointed to his position by the one from above. He might have been thinking Caesar or the one who appointed uh, Pilate that way. Jesus may have been speaking more of God, giving this to him. But however Pilate understood it, from then on it says he tries to set Jesus free. And we read that line. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. And we say, then why isn't Jesus free? Isn't Pilate the one who gets to make the call? Doesn't he get to decide? if Jesus gets crucified or not? Yes. In fact, he's the only one who gets to make that call. This is why uh, when he says earlier, you take him and crucify him, they're like, "Eh, no, you have to do it. Because, yeah, we've got a law that says he needs to die, but we can't crucify anyone. They could stone him to death. We want him crucified. And only you can do that, Pilate. So if Pilate is the only one who can get him crucified, and if Pilate is the one who's trying to get him set free, 
Why does he end up getting crucified? Well, next part of the verse says, From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting. You remember what we were saying of Pilate going inside and outside, that back and forth, that back and forth between Jesus and these other leaders? That's what's going on internally with Pilate. He listens to Jesus and he says, yeah, I'm going to set him free. And then he goes back out to the Jewish leaders and they just keep shouting at him. He's like, ah, okay, I'll do what you want. You ever find yourself in that kind of position? <laughs> like Pilate? Back and forth? Between uh, what you know you ought to do and what you feel like you have to do in the moment just to make somebody else shut up. <laughs> We've been there. That's why we have a no chanting rule in our house. <laughs> it's so easy to cave uh, when all you want to do is just make it stop. This is where Pilate is. So he brings him out again. John mentions when it is. We don't have time to go into that right now. And he says, here is your king. There's that king line again. And this is where it all comes to a head. When Pilate brings him out and says, here is your king. Again, what does he mean versus what does it actually mean? Jesus is the king over all kings. That's what we've uh, already seen. And he is king over these people as well. And yet they refuse to accept him as their king. And so they shout again, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate tries again, shall I crucify your king? And this line should make everyone just absolutely cringe. When it says, we have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Do you hear that? Do you, hear, do you remember what we read in 1 Samuel when the people wanted a king? And Samuel thought, yeah, this is not such a good idea. It sounds like they're rejecting me. They're rejecting my family as those that God has put as a you know, judge over them, as prophets even. And do you remember what God says? Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me as their king. Because this was always to be the arrangement. That God is to be the king over everything. If you uh, read in the Psalms, this is some of the language that, uh, that David, as king over Israel, understands. God is the king over everything, David included. God is the king. And when they came into the land, this is what they were to recognize. You will be my people. I will be your God. And this is what they didn't recognize. And so what you see in the book of Judges as things continue to spiral down and down and down is this line, in those days Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we see that when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, things do not go well. They did need a king. 
But they didn't need Saul. They needed God. That's who they needed as their king. But they rejected God as their king, and they chose Saul instead. And God said, you can give them that, but it's not going to go well. This is the position the chief priests are in, and these are people who should know that history, and these are people who should have been calling the people of Israel to say no to the kingdoms of this world and yes to the kingdom of God. And yet it's the chief priests themselves who reject their true king and claim Caesar as their king. Caesar. Not even like Herod, local king, Jewish you know, ruler, but, but Caesar. The Roman oppressors over the Jewish people and the chief priests of Israel say, yeah, that's our king. We choose him. This is, um, this is unfortunately close to home always. Because we are always in the position of having to choose our king. It is one of the reasons that we gather together again and again to remind ourselves who the true king is as a way of reminding ourselves not only who the true king is, but how his ways are so different than the ways of this world. But we still live in this world, and we are surrounded by the politics of this world, and these days, it seems like everything is seen through a political lens. And everything is judged not by whether it is good or bad, right or wrong, but whether it works or doesn't work. whether it advances my side or not. I want us to remember this line where the chief priests say, we have no king but Caesar. That should not be our line. That should not be our line. Our line should be, we have no king but Jesus. And when we look at the passages that we read from the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see what the kings of the earth do as they rule, even the best kings. And they still rule in ways of power. Whereas, uh, and by power, I mean domination kind of thing. Whereas, then we look at 1 John 4. And there's a contrast, isn't there? There's the way of power and there's the way of love. And one of the things that we see is the way of power is actually all false power. And the way of love is actually the real deal. That is a much more powerful power <laughs> than the use of force ever is. And so when we see uh, Pilate and Jesus and the Jewish leaders and the soldiers and we look at the situation, we say, who has the power here? Well, it depends. If we're thinking in terms of 1 Samuel, we think what we need is a king over us who can be uh, strong in battle and that kind of thing. Then we say, well, Jesus, he's the weak guy. Look, the soldiers are able to beat him up. Pilate can order his crucifixion. The chief priests can just call for it, and it happens. 
All of these people obviously have more power than Jesus. And then you turn to 1 John 4 and you read, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, who's the more powerful? Jesus, in this moment, is actually giving his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Can Pilate do that? No. Can the soldiers do that? No. Can the chief priests and leaders do that? No. Not even if they all band together and use all the power they have, can they actually provide for the sins of the world. Jesus can, and he does. And that is a much, much stronger power. But it's not the way of the kingdoms of this world. It is the way of the kingdom of heaven. It is the way of the kingdom of God. And when when we claim week after week We have no king but Jesus. This is part of what we mean. That we choose the way of love over all the political posturing and power games of this world. Does it mean we always get it right? No. And that's why we keep coming back. (laughs) That's why daily we continue reading and praying. That's why we keep... Uh, praying for each other and helping each other because we all get off track. But this is the way. The way of love, the way of Jesus. And I pray that God would help us all, all, to follow his way. pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.